good morning and uh, praise the Lord for sins forgiven. That's where we stand. If you would please turn with me to the end of Mark 13. On occasions, Artina has been able to get away on a short vacation with Noah and Arlene to be out for a few days. Uh, and when that happens, uh, I, I like to use every waking moment that I can to work. Uh, I, not just any work. Uh, I like to read and to think and to write. I like having the long blocks of time set aside for that. Uh, in some ways, I kind of revert back to my college days when I was a bachelor. Uh, the microwave and the coffee pot are the two appliances in the kitchen that I use most often. Uh, I try not to take, amen indeed, try not to take too much time for the frills of life, and I definitely don't waste time on cleaning. I work and I work and I work, and the mess around me just piles up. But there comes a point when I realize that Artina will soon be home. Uh, Usually when she's about an hour away, I shift gears completely, uh, and then I start cleaning. Then I'm putting my books back. I'm going around the house and finding them and putting them back where they belong. Uh, The dishes get washed and the piled up trash gets taken out. Maybe I even go so far as to vacuum. I know that the time has come, so I get ready. Uh, The later I wait, the more frantic that moment becomes. Uh, And perhaps you have experienced that cramming sort of experience. Uh, You know, there's cramming for tests, as people get ready for that, or there's deadlines for work that have to be done. And so there's any number of reasons why you might find yourself in crunch time. Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in those moments and seasons Uh, And I will have to say that's generally not the way that our faith works, however. Uh, Yes, perhaps there are seasons in our faith where we grow by leaps and bounds. There are times when we have to grow up quick in our walk with the Lord. Uh, But we don't often, we shouldn't often find ourselves where we're trying to cram in our experience with the Lord. We don't want to be found, especially wanting, in a time of trial. As we have been studying the Olivet Discourse, we have seen that the Lord has been preparing his disciples for hard days ahead. He doesn't want them to be shocked or surprised when hard things come. He doesn't want them having to try to to grow up quick when they run into something that they didn't didn't expect. He wants them to be, and us, to be aware of false teachers. He wants us to be aware that we may be hated by all. He wants us to be prepared to even suffer for him. He has done us a mercy in revealing these things. Uh, And he is helping us to grow into maturity uh, rather than to be caught off guard and and found wanting in a time of need. So as we finish up the Olivet Discourse today in Mark 13, we're going to see some of Jesus' final exhortations. He's going to give some Final applications, yes, in light of what we'll see today, but really in light of the whole chapter. Let's read that now in Mark 13, start in verse 28, and read down to the end of the chapter. Jesus says, 
from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us the grace to stay awake in our day, Lord, to be alert and to be ready pray that as we wrap up this section of Mark's gospel, that you would continue to work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Please prepare us for that day. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength for the trials we face today, and that you would continue to build our faith. Help us to trust you through fiery trials. Help us not to be surprised when things are hard. Please give us grace to love one another in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we receive this final exhortation, I think that the main point for us here is that we would stay faithful to the Lord until the day that he comes. We want to stay faithful to the Lord until the day he comes. And I think we can see that through three applications that we'll come to. We want to stay trusting in God's word. We want to stay awake in this world. And we want to stay faithful in God's work. Before we get to those three applications, uh, there's a couple difficult verses I want to spend some time working through. Uh, and then I'll share with you how I understand these verses, how they work together and into that command, those commands there. Well, in verse 28, Jesus gives us another short parable. Uh, we've seen this before in Mark's Gospel and in the teaching ministry of Jesus. Sometimes he gives us parables that are long. It's a long story. Uh, you can think of uh, Luke 10, I believe it is, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's got a whole full story. Sometimes Jesus gives us parables that are short. Hardly even a few words sometimes. It's like a sawed-off shotgun. It's, it, uh, it has the power right there, right away. Uh, it's a close-range parable. Here we, we get another one of those short parables. Uh, you know, in, in the past we've seen the parable of the wineskin, the parable of the unshrunk garment. Uh, the word parable isn't used here in the ESV. It says, from the fig tree learn its lesson. But in the Greek, the, less, the word for lesson there is, from the fig tree learn its parable, parabolos. Uh, learn the parable from the fig tree. And what is that? Uh, well, with a fig tree, and really any tree for that matter, uh, when the springtime comes, and you're getting later on in the spring, it bursts its buds and it puts out leaves. Uh, and when that happens, you know that the season is changing. Winter is gone. Summer is on its way. Uh, we've certainly seen that in recent months. Uh, and here summer is upon us. Jesus uses this common life experience to relate to something that he's saying, to project something about what he is saying. Uh, and he is 
been talking about the trials and struggles and tribulations that his people will endure in the days to come. Uh, He has described them earlier as birth pains. Uh, They increase, then subside, then they come back again with more intensity. Uh, In verse 29, Jesus explains this brief parable by saying that when you see these things happening, then you know that he is near at the very gates. So just as the fig tree and its blossoms coming out is a sign of summer arriving, that when these events are taking place, then that is a sign that the Lord is near. Now, I think this can be hard to understand in light of some of the other things Jesus has said in Mark 13. Back in verse 7, Jesus says that when there's wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Uh, Don't be alarmed by that. He says, because these things must take place. Uh, But they're also signs of the end. Verse 10, Jesus says that before these things are done, the gospel will first be preached to all nations. Do you see the tension there? You can perceive the signs, Jesus says on the one hand, in this parable, uh, but don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of God either, uh, Jesus teaches in verse 7. So how do we put these teachings together? So that's one question, one of the difficulties here in this passage. Uh, Next, in verse 30, Jesus says that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Uh, And then in verse 32, Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, but only the Father. So there are multiple difficulties here. How do we understand all of these together? There's a lot for us to chew on here, isn't there? Now, I want to speak with humility on this topic, not because I don't have an opinion for how it works together, but because these are genuinely hard verses. There are some hard things to understand here. Uh, A lot of people have thought very hard about these verses and have come up with different answers. So I do want to share how I understand these verses, but I I want to share it knowing that there are different views on this. Uh, I want to start with what Jesus says about himself here. Uh, This has been perplexing. Some of the things that Jesus says here about himself has been perplexing for Christians for the last 2,000 years. Uh, How can the Son of God not know the timing? How can, you could say it this way, how can God be ignorant of anything? I think this can only be the case because of the humanity of Jesus. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have a mysterious union of human and divine. The second person of the Trinity has assumed humanity in order to save sinners. Now that point is non-negotiable. That comes through clearly in Scripture. But when he does this, there is some mystery in exactly how this works out. There has been a long discussion over the centuries about whether Jesus has from all eternity, in his incarnation, when he became a man, one of the questions is, did he have all of eternity on his mind at that moment? So as he's healing, and as he's uh, sleeping even, and as he's an infant, does he have omniscience? Does he know everything at every moment, all the time? Is that the the conscious experience of Jesus? Uh, Some would say, yes, that, that is how we understand the, the divine and human together here. Uh, I think a better, though more mysterious way to understand this is to affirm the true deity of Jesus. He is God. There's no doubt there. Uh, yet we also want to affirm the true humanity of God and man in Christ. Uh, so 
I think the scriptures teach that, and we want to affirm that along with the scriptures. In some real way, Jesus retained a human consciousness as part of his true humanity. In some real way, Jesus was able to learn. Uh, The last word that we get in Luke's gospel about the youthful days of Jesus before we get to his public ministry uh, points us in that direction. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he increased in wisdom and in stature. I believe that although Jesus was never foolish, it would be wrong to say that Jesus was ever foolish, yet somehow he grew in wisdom. There's kind of some mystery there. Uh, Although Jesus was never ignorant in a morally culpable way. You can be ignorant in a morally culpable way. Jesus never was. Nonetheless, he was able to grow in understanding. I do not believe the fact that Jesus was truly God meant that his human intellect was wiped out. Again, we are peering into a mystery here, and we won't exhaust it in our lifetime. There's no book that you can pick up that's going to work it out in every single detail and still be consistent with Scripture. I think there are some things that we don't fully understand, and yet it's part of the mystery that we believe in the fact that God has become a man in Christ. I don't know how every detail works out. Uh, We do see Jesus in his earthly ministry. He's directed by the Father. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And yet he himself is God. We might ask, if Jesus is God, why would he need any of that? Uh, Why does he need to be directed or empowered? Uh, We don't know entirely. But we, we want to affirm what Scripture affirms. Now, I do have two main answers for how I understand that, why that is the case. Uh, I think that from scriptures we see that there is one God. There's not multiple gods. There's not three gods in heaven. There's one God. He exists in three persons. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a mutual relationship between these persons. And because of that, there's interaction between them. I think the second reality we see is uh, the incarnation. It's a $5 word, the incarnation. You're probably familiar with it. If not, it just means the enfleshment. Uh, it means that uh, God has come into the flesh. <laughs> Uh, and taking on our humanity, the eternal Son of God has taken, uh, uh, taken humanity onto himself. He's taken a human body and soul and consciousness. Uh, and it's according to the humanity of Jesus that he's able to learn, that he's able to grow, that he's able to increase in wisdom and in favor with God. Now, according to his deity, he knows everything. Uh, he is perfectly wise, and he never changes. Uh, so we have these teachings. that there's The doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Incarnation... Those help us to understand what Jesus means when he says, the Son doesn't know the day or the hour. And as I said, there's a lot of mystery left over there. I do want to encourage you, though, not to be ashamed of the mysteries of Scripture. There are things that we just don't fully comprehend in this life. People have often used the example, imagine if you were to stoop down to an ant and try to explain to an ant the complexity of what goes through your mind in a day. That ant is not going to be able to keep, keep up with you. It's not going to be tracking with you, right? You won't even understand probably a single word that comes out of your mouth. Uh, it is incredible. God has made us in his image, and he is able to communicate about himself to us. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise us that there are things about God that just go beyond our understanding. 
We shouldn't be offended when we come face to face with the true God and there are things that just go beyond our ability to piece together. That's appropriate. If there is a God in heaven who made all of this, we shouldn't be surprised if he's bigger than us. So don't be ashamed of the mysteries of Scripture. When, when a Muslim says, that's foolish, how could Jesus ever be God? God doesn't have a son. This doesn't make any sense. Don't be offended by it. Don't be uh, ashamed of the Scriptures. Yes, there's mystery here. But that's okay. In fact, it's what saves us. If God didn't have a son, who would he send to come take on flesh and save us? The, really, the scripture's message is tied into this. Uh, we want to stand on what scripture reveals. And so one of the outworkings of that, as we see here, is that the son doesn't know the day or the hour. And I think that means just what he says. Now, how does that work out? Again, best I understand Uh, Jesus is prophesying uh, about the future, and what he says is accurate and truthful. Uh, Jesus isn't just guessing. I believe that he understands the future in light of his messianic role as a prophet. Uh, He sees that in the scriptures. He's reading the same Old Testament scriptures we're reading. Now, he has an added perception. He doesn't have the blockage of sin that we have. We struggle to understand scripture sometimes because our hearts don't want to understand it. Uh, He doesn't have that. He's in perfect communion with his Father. So, you know, he approaches the Scriptures in a far better place. Beyond that, he has direct communication with the Father through the Spirit. So, somehow, again, there's mystery here. The Father is revealing things to the Son, and he is telling us about it. And so Jesus has told us about the future. But God hasn't revealed everything that he could reveal. There are things that God has chosen not to reveal that we could understand, but he decides not to share it. He doesn't tell us the day or the hour, and I think that's on purpose. Uh, God wants his people, the Lord Jesus Christ wants his people to be vigilant in every generation, and yet not alarmed. We'll see that more in a bit. I do believe, as we continue on in these hard questions here, trying to understand this, there is coming a time when we will enter into that last phase of this season of world history. I think that Jesus is referring to the generation of that final phase of world history in verse 30 when he says, this generation. Now, an easier reading would be if he would have said, that generation, the the distant demonstrative. Nevertheless, I do believe that he's referring to the generation that he's describing in these verses. So that's why I think he uses the near, this generation. Uh, there are going to be, throughout history, precursors and pre-Antichrist figures that will come until that generation. There will be wars and earthquakes and persecutions. Uh, These things will take place, um, but they're going to be pointers forward. They're going to be contractions before the the final push. Uh, A day will come, and still future to us, I believe, when the baby is coming, so to speak. And when that day comes, it is going to take place, not over the course of centuries, like so much of God's promises and fulfillment have taken place, I think it's going to be a quick wrap-up at that point. It's going to be relatively swift. That's how I understand these verses in this chapter to fit together. Now, many of the things in the first century line up well with the events that Jesus describes in Mark 13. We've been seeing so many of them through the book of Acts. There, are, there were wars, natural disasters, there was leaders like Nero who claimed himself to be God. 
Uh, and of course, you have the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem. And many people point to those things and say that Jesus is referring to the first generation uh, that were there. I think there's some merits to pointing out those details, but I still see those as partial fulfillments of something yet future. Uh, I believe there's still a future greater fulfillment of so many of the things that are described in Mark 13. So where does that leave the Christian today? How should we live our lives differently in light of Mark 13? How should that impact our day-to-day walk with the Lord? I think that there are at least three ready applications from here. And in our last little bit of time together, we're going to walk through those. The first application is that we should stay trusting in God's word. Jesus says a word here about God's word, but especially about the things that he's just spoken. In verse 31, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So heaven and earth, the tangible things around us, they might come to an end, but God's word never will. People can fail. I know I fail all the time, but God never fails. God never once has failed. God always follows through on his word and his promises. There is nothing that can or will come between God and him fulfilling his promises. The word the Bible uses so often to describe this reality is faithful. God is faithful. There is not a word that he has spoken that will fall to the ground without being fulfilled. God has a 100% follow-through. One of the hard realities about living in this world is that we might say something we're going to do, and then we might forget it. Uh, It happens to me more often than I'd like to admit. God never forgets. Hundreds of years, thousands of years pass God never forgets. He never gets distracted. He never gets his priorities out of whack. God is the only being in this entire universe who can follow through on everything that he says. I want to say as we think about these Mark 13 and all of scripture here, uh, we can trust God's word. When he says something, we can trust it. Yes, 2,000 years may have transpired since the ascension of Jesus into heaven and the angel said that he'll return in just this way that he went up. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but we must not lose faith in God's promises. Uh, Even if it seems like it's longer than we would have thought on our timetable, we shouldn't lose faith in the promises that God makes. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. All of what we see will pass away someday. But God's word won't. So we want to stay trusting in God's word in light of Mark 13. Second, we should stay awake in this world. The direction to stay awake is found three times as a command here in in verses 33 to 36. And then once it's used indirectly. I'll read those again. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Uh, I mentioned earlier, God chose not to reveal the exact timing of these future events. Uh, I think that he has done that for our good. Jesus wants his followers to be ready for his return in every generation and every season. I think that there is a spiritual liability if we ever come to the place where we say, Jesus is definitely not returning in my lifetime. I think there's a spiritual liability that comes along with that. I think texts like this call us to be alert, uh, not panicked, not alarmed, and not retracted from society and hiding, but alert. We should keep awake in our day. We must not drift off uh, and forget about eternity. We, we must not forget about the fact that eternity is on the doorstep for every one of us. This life is so incredibly fragile. Not a single one of us knows when we will step into glory. And we don't know exactly when the Lord will return. So we want to be vigilant. Uh, a mentor of mine preached a sermon once on the return of the Lord. And he asked the question, he says, If you knew that the Lord Jesus was returning today, what would you do? Uh, if you knew that the Master was returning today, what would you get ready for his return? And then he snapped the trap on us and he said, go do it. <laughs> we should be living our lives prepared to meet our maker every single day. If there's any part of your life that is not in line and not ready for the Master to return, set it straight. Put your hand to the work and set it straight. It might take more than a day, but work at it. We don't want to be ashamed at his coming. If we're in him, we won't lose our salvation if something's out of joint, but we might wish that it had been different when he returns. Be ready for his return. Work at being ready for it and stay awake in our day. The third thing here we see is a call to stay faithful in God's work. See this in verse 34. I'll read just that verse again. Jesus describes his going and returning. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. As we have seen, uh, like the doorkeeper, we ought to stay awake. Jesus commands that. But also, like the servants, we should stay faithful. Jesus mentions that this man goes on a journey. He leaves his servants with authority. He puts them in charge, each over his work. Each servant has been left with the authority and the obligation to carry out his task. Uh, that points us to what we ought to be doing as we wait until the Lord returns. Uh, we are to be serving faithfully according to the charges that he has given us. <clears throat> we ought to walk by the fruit of the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, and to be exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and this is a pretty broad charge to faithfulness here. Jesus says, each with his work. He doesn't go into detail and spell out every single task that's given. He says, each with his work. The reality is, all of us have been given all sorts of different things that we are to steward faithfully in our day. Be faithful to the Lord in your parenting. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful to the Lord in the work that you do for him. Uh, doing it heartily for God and not for man. 
be faithful in the stewardship of your relationships in your family and with your friends. Be faithful with how you spend your time and how you spend your money. If the Lord has granted you the gift of evangelism and apologetics, engage in that heartily. If the Lord has given you gifts of service, serve in the strength and the joy that he provides. If he's given you the gift of acts of mercy, then make time and as you're able, serve others with that gift. Also, as you wait for the Lord, be faithful in seeking the Lord. Uh, Never think that you have figured God out uh, and now you can go on and live the rest of your life doing something else. Make it your life goal to know God and to know him better. Give yourself to the things of God and the things that he calls you to. Now, if you are in Christ, having been forgiven by him of your sins, then you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and he is in you driving you on towards these things. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit as you walk with the Lord. In light of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is returning, we want to be found faithful in our day. We want to be found faithful when he returns. He is returning, and we can trust his word regarding that as we stay awake and as we stay faithful in these days. Do you want to invite the men to prepare for communion and Maggie to come and play? Uh, Let's go to prayer together.